Hey, this is Chris Pratt, and you're listening to the Teach Bigger Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We have new episodes that drop every Monday. Be sure to join us on social media to keep up with everything we are doing, and don't forget to follow the podcast wherever you listen. So if you follow us on social media at all, you will know that we attended the TCEA conference in Dallas, Texas, and it's the Texas Computer Educators Association Conference. Mm-hmm. And it's a really great event. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, probably at least fifteen to 20,000 people here. Yeah. And, um, you know, tons of exhibitors, sessions, like, nonstop. Um, and it, it was really powerful. Um, and, and for us, I mean, there's a lot of trends going on in technology and education. But for us, I think that a major trend was, like, this whole idea of, of the metaverse and like gamification and gaming and, and classroom VR. It's, it's like all those things that were so futuristic are happening now. Yeah. You know? So, um, I, I don't know. I mean, what, 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 what was your general vibe? What did you think? So my general vibe is that I think, <laughs> I think that we're late to the game when it comes to the metaverse and all in like VR or whatever. Okay. Be- and so that bothers me. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you why that bothers me because, like, you know, we, we sort of stumbled this year, like 21 into 22. Mm-hmm. We, we sort of stumbled in the metaverse. And, I, and it wasn't because Facebook changed to meta. You know, it was just, it just started to trend, I guess, to a point where yeah. you start to really see it. But yet, most people are kind of still in the dark about it. Like, maybe they've noticed, honestly, most people that I talk to, when you say like, have you ever noticed that Facebook changed to Meta? They're like, what? Yeah, like they don't even notice that because it's just like this little, you know, yeah. logo at the bottom. Because the they're screen. still watching TV, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like oh, my man. parents watching actual television. Like when I go home, <laughs> when I go home and like I see what's really crazy is I mean we make videos and stuff on YouTube and like when I go home and I watch uh, TV at my parents' house because they actually I think they have cable or something and. These these ads and these commercials run. It's literally the same ads that I remember seeing when I was like six years old, nine years old, and they're in terrible quality. And like I can tell that it's in twenty four frames per second. And I'm just like, this is passable for cable. No wonder everybody left and went to like Netflix <laughs> and Hulu and everything else. No wonder everyone got rid of their stupid cable packages and stuff like you that. You know, a quick aside that's so funny, is, and this was kind of like a wake-up call for me, is my kids, you know, we pretty much just have streaming services, and that's what we watch. And and I do have like a smart TV, and on it, it offers like – it's like a Vizio TV, and so it offers, like, free watch or whatever. Well, some of the things that they have are kind of like TV, the way TV used to be. So you can't pause it or whatever. It's just on, and you tune into that channel. And so we we were scrolling through one day, and we found it, and a commercial came on. And my kids had the remote, and they were trying to get the commercial to get <laughs> off, and it wouldn't go off because that's not the way that platform works. And I had to explain to them, like, that's how things used to be. And they're like, but why can't we, why do we have to watch this commercial? <laughs> you know, because they're used to like watching YouTube or whatever and just skip the ad as soon as it comes yeah, up. Yeah, and you only have three seconds. Wait three seconds unless the YouTuber decides to make you sit through all of it and not right. put a skip ad. Yeah. So anyways, I, I don't know, a little perspective there. But what were we saying? Well, I was saying that 
the metaverse and VR oh, and yeah. all these okay. things that I thought were super on kit right. is actually kind of mainstream. So, so here's what here's what this is what I was saying. Is what is discouraging to me is, you know, I was kind of like, wow, I don't know anybody that knows about this. Like, maybe I'm getting in on the the front end of something new and fresh and innovative and like, you know, I want to learn and and like grow from it and then maybe I can help other people. Under- no. Mm-mm. No, I'm so far behind to this party. <laughs> I, I mean, know. like these people have been like, you know, they're they're sweeping the floor by now. They they really are. I mean, the first NFT apparently was made in 2008. 2008. Whenever somewhere, when somewhere everybody was there. getting laid off in the in the job recession mm-hmm. and and all that, they started making. Set, I sat next to a person who bought virtual real estate uh, eight years ago or something like that for 20 bucks, and now it's worth somewhere upward to five grand or something. And I was like, man, here I am thinking I'm getting a jump on it. And uh, I know. And then he started talking about oh, the virtual horse races. I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> the, that they breed virtual horses. Well, that doesn't really bother me so much. Cause well, you it can, doesn't bother me. It's just mind boggling no, to me because they're not even real. Obviously, you've never played a Pokemon game because you can breed Pokemon together exactly the same okay, way. Fine. I mean, you know, full disclaimer, I've never played Pokemon. So, that's and, how that's and how. I, that and works. I'm not I don't feel any shame for that. And those people like, I mean, they be breeding some pokemon so that way they can get the shinies and getting all the different types of stuff whatever and what's crazy is that is a grind dude that is a grind i'm talking at least 100 hours in in order to get what you need to get well anyways this guy that was talking about the virtual horses (laughs) he said that him and his friend were fixing to start buying virtual horse stables (laughs) and just maintain them (laughs) and maintain them because then people will pay them so that they can put their virtual horse in the ver- <laughs> This is like, I, I just can't. I can't anymore because, like, I mean, I don't know. And so that's how far behind I, I am at this point. So one thing that I, I gathered that was really interesting in one of our stuff is they were talking about the educational metaverse. And I asked if it was going to be, like, on a blockchain or whatever, and they were like, no, absolutely not, which I thought was strange because if it was on a blockchain, then you would have the ability to take it down and up without any type of reproduction uh, uh, reproduction of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe I still don't understand because obviously those people knew way more than I did. But he was talking about like what makes a metaverse a metaverse. And he was saying that it needed to be social. You needed to play or have work on there. And then there, um, that was it. But he said that he wanted to add another thing to it where it was educational and that you could learn on the platform itself. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, you know, those things are true, but if you're going to sit there and say a metaverse is something where you are social and you can play and or do work, that means that when I was like on my Xbox 360 playing Halo 3 with in a group chat, that was technically a metaverse. Or Minecraft being in there and playing and, and doing work in there or doing some type of artistic something building that's technically a metaverse. And I don't really think that's necessarily what's going on now. I really think what's going on now and what separates it is that like there's e-commerce, there's money involved and it's real money. This isn't just the V bucks that you're buying your kids. So that way they can buy the latest Fortnite skin. This isn't Xbox points that used to be a thing back when Xbox 360 or PlayStation points or anything like that or iTunes or, you know, because iTunes used to be points, I think. I'm not entirely sure about that one. But it's not, it's nothing like that because the reason 
Xbox used to use Xbox points is because back in the day, people were afraid to give out their credit card information. So it was like they made this middleman. You go to Walmart, you buy an Xbox card to get 1,500 Xbox points. And then it wasn't like you were using real money, even though you had to pay money for the Exactly. Money, but right. Yes, yes. Because otherwise, we're kind of gambling. Well, right. Because right. then the thing of it would be is like, hey, it's Christmas. What does a kid want? Well, he wants Xbox points. Okay. Buy him Xbox points. He redeems it. And now he's able to do this. And he didn't have to use mom and dad's credit card on the internet. Well, now people don't care about that because they order things from Amazon all the time. Right. Right. So the difference is now is that the metaverse runs on a blockchain that that uses cryptocurrency. So I can literally go play a video game and either make money. I can make Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever type of crypto that's going on. I can make physically make money while playing a video game in a virtual world where things are very similar to the real world. And with that same money that I just made, I can go to Amazon and buy my weekly groceries. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to cash it out. And you're gonna no, Amazon. Oh, you're right. Amazon, Amazon use, does it, take cryptocurrency. Yes, Amazon takes ETH, Ethereum. See, wow, that's wild. Okay, and so that's I, what blows my mind. Okay, so I took notes, right? Of course you did. And, uh, yes, and so like what what they sort of define the metaverse as, okay is a set of virtual spaces where you can create and explore with other people who aren't in the same physical space as you, which is basically what you said. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is that the vice president of Facebook Reality Labs, so so like the guy who's kind of in charge of all this for Facebook, basically, he says that the metaverse is the internet enhanced and upgraded to consistently consistently deliver 3D content, spatially organized information and experiences and real-time synchronous communication yeah and that's basically all all of web three so i agree with you i think that it does bring in the economic system for lack of a better term and that is one of the defining features and probably because we were at educational conference that was not a point to be made because that's not where they're going with this and and so basically he he was saying we're going to use the metaverse for this Although it can be used for these other things too, just like the internet now. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you can gamble online, but that doesn't mean we're using that in a school setting. We better not be. Well, I mean, there's gambling type games that are. Well, there, yeah, but I'm know. just saying, like, as far as really being able to, you know, use real money or yeah. whatever. So, I mean, that wasn't, it wasn't relevant to the discussion well, that they were having. And this is what blows my mind. If there's. It, <sighs> People out there are gonna who might have played this, who were kind of nerds, played a game called RuneScape. Okay, and on RuneScape's webpage, when you'd play, like they had some very strict rules, and one of their biggest strictest rule was that you could not sell things in the game to somebody else in the game for real physical money. That was that was against the rules. You were not supposed to do that. Because uh, they didn't want any of the legal actions or anything else going on. Because people would go, they would make an account, and it'd be like, this is an amazing character. And then they would sell the character to somebody else or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because they already had in-game currency, which was gold. Because mm-hmm. it was all based off, like, you know, medieval type of World of Warcraft type of thing or whatever. So, like, and there were multiple games that had rules that were set in that were like that. We're breaking that rule with the metaverse because it's all cryptocurrency. So it just, that aspect kind of like 
blows my mind. Now, something else that really blew my mind is he showed a map. I don't know if you took a, a picture of this. It was the majority of countries that are using Class VR, which is the product that he had, and they were in the, they were mainly in the UK and the Middle East, but they were heavily, heavily used in the Middle East. And that just made me sit there and think, who are the scammers who are always calling us? There, there's very few American scammers that I get on my, my call that, that call me. And that just sits me think, well, that's because they're being educated in, in computers. They're being educated in STEMs. They're, they value education on a different level than us. And I'm not saying... Technology education. Yes, technology sure. education. And I'm not saying that like every single school over there is absolutely perfect. I don't know that. But I do know the statistics that he presented, that the majority of their business is done in the Middle East and in, in the UK. And I know that the reason I'm not getting uh, American phone calls that are scamming me isn't because America's great. It's because America's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's because they don't know how to use technology. Well, I mean, have you ever heard of a school getting hacked that, by non-Russians? I've never heard of anybody getting hacked by non-Russians. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, clearly the Russians hack everyone. Or the Chinese or something. No yeah. one says, oh, man, this... Right, these kids down in North Carolina. <laughs> North Carolina hacked my school district. No, like it's always some type of foreign. And I mean, maybe there's a political thing that goes with that or, or whatever. Wow. But I, I think what it comes down to is that we don't value technology-based education, like the STEM fields. And maybe it's not that we don't value it. We just don't know how to teach it very well. And, and but why? I mean, America is supposed to be like the most innovative country we're supposed to be leading the way. Is I mean, I, I guess my question is, I say we're supposed to be. Is that just something we've been told? Well, I think it's because we used to. Okay. I think it's because we, we used we, to be and still. We used to things. be one of be like the one of the biggest powerhouses ever, and then it started slipping for one one reason or another. Well, probably many reasons. Yeah. But and, and I mean, okay, so I mean, what's our proof? I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know either. I mean, maybe this is just our opinion. So this is just our opinion. But it's, it, you know, you got to kind of take a well, look and at I mean, what's going on. I, I'm basing it off of the, the statistics. And no, the and, I, and I, I know that he's he's only one business. There's multiple other that's businesses. A, that's, a, that's an example. That's just okay, an and, example. And it does raise the question. Why is it that whenever he showed the map, there were literally hundreds of dots on the map around the U.K., that many or more in the Middle East, and there were two dots on the map in America. So there were only two places in America that was using this product. What are they? Have they not marketed to America? Is it that their product's no good and we know it? And then the Americans are like, "We're not using that mess." Like I don't know. I mean, there's got to be a reason. But it, but here he is in America, and I I don't know. I guess there. I think he said they were a UK based company. Well, they obviously now have that reps. would make that would make more sense that I didn't know that. Yeah, I think that's what he said. I could be wrong about that, um, but but even still, here he is in America, so maybe it's just getting off the ground here. You yeah. know, I don't. I mean, know. going internationally, I would imagine would be extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if there's one thing that Americans hate, it's change. <laughs> well, I think people. Yeah, that's general. true. People in general just don't like change. It's it's hard for them. So. Um, what I thought was really crazy about this is that it wasn't just class VR. He had class VR 
And then you had VR room, which is like basically a virtual reality Zoom room. And then he had like this whole virtual reality metaverse that looked like an island. And there were just different STEM fields in each part of the island with lessons and curriculum and like all of this crazy stuff that was that was going on. And that really kind of blew me away. Um, and so, okay, so something that all of the, all of the things, all of the um, clinics were talking about. There's a new buzzword that I didn't know was a buzzword is, oh, the kids can go in there and they can create and they can build. Mm-hmm. Remember, I even asked, like, there was one uh, we were in. I don't remember which one it was. It was one of the very first ones where they're talking about VR um, meetings or something like that. It wasn't it wasn't class VR. It was a completely different session. But she was talking about, yes, and the kids can get in there and they can just build and they can create. And I read Chris May. I was like, okay, what are they building? What are they creating? Mm-hmm. Like, what is this Minecraft? Because I don't see any blocks. Like, I'm looking at your platform and I don't see anything that allows me to build or create. And she had a few things that were going on, but it wasn't quite like the Minecraft that we went to. Mm-hmm. What did you think about that one? Well, I was blown away. I mean, I know a lot of people play Minecraft. Minecraft was it came out after I was through my video game phase. Okay, so I, I just have never played it. I don't know much about it. I know a little bit about it. But watching how... And and Minecraft has done a great job of creating um, an educational pathway, you know, that it, it can be used as more than just a game. And teachers actually have the ability to, you know, present it to their kids in a way where it gives them projects and different learning... Um, you know, opportunities and different scenarios and things like that. And it's it's fascinating to me how um, you can use Minecraft to literally give kids true real-world experiences and to be able to make them work together and think in a collaborative way that literally parallels what we have to do in our mm-hmm. jobs on a daily basis yeah. as we work with people and problem-solve. And it's giving these kids this opportunity, but it's all done through the video game. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Microsoft has a lot of education stuff. Yeah, I did they do. not realize how much yeah. education stuff. Because like, I'm a Google school, right. so we don't ever deal with Microsoft ever. Yeah, they're a big thing. And I don't think that I've used Microsoft Word since... You had to pay for it? <laughs> Yeah, since <laughs> back when you were able to just buy the program and right. it wasn't a subscription-based thing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, after that, like, after they went to a subscription-based thing, I was like, I'm done with this. I'm just using Google. And that's that's what I've been using for the last, I don't know, ever 10, 15 years, something like that. So I haven't really done it. Anyway, so I was really surprised by that, and I was really excited to hear that. And they came up with the six principles of game-based learning. The first one was the failure dynamic. So mm. early failure in uh, and fail often. And yeah. we talked about that not too long ago. We're like, it's important to let someone fail and fail. And in, in, there's a tons of different ways that you can fail. Um, I, I think when we were talking about it, Mosley was talking about a certain type of failure with kids on a small scale. And I was talking about it on a much larger yeah. scale. Yeah. Cause yeah, we did. And, and I love this because, you know, whenever you're in a virtual environment, kids, people 
are willing to fail and they're willing to take a risk because they know I can start over. I can do it again. So it kind of cultivates this understanding of like it's safe to take a risk and let's see what happens because maybe it'll work. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, then I know I'm going to go back and do it again and try to make it better. But we don't always do that in our lives. Mm-hmm. Like we're not willing to fail. Like we, we feel like we have to have this persona where we do everything perfect all the time. And I think, you know, parents and teachers for sure. And, and I can probably throw in there like, you know, professionals, you know, in corporate world who are at high levels of leadership. Mm-hmm. It's like, we cannot allow ourselves to fail. Like teachers can't allow themselves to fail because we've been educated and we're expected to know the answers. Mm-hmm. And if we fail, it means that we don't know what we're doing. It goes back to that unrealistic uh, expectation that we have set for ourselves. Right. Okay. Parents don't fail because they don't ever want to be wrong in front of their kids. Mm-hmm. And then corporate, you don't want to fail because then you feel like that people are going to think you're incompetent. See, now I'm going to challenge you on that one because I think that really high up corporate entities embrace the failure. I agree. But I don't think that it's mainstream yet. I I don't know. I think that the extremely high end ones, I'm talking. But but that's not mainstream, the extreme high end ones. I'm talking about your general um, in general. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. That's just my opinion. Well, and and I know like one of the things I love about Minecraft is that, and there's very few games that do this, there's actually a hardcore mode. Mm. And the hardcore mode means that when you die, that's it, your world gets deleted. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, like, there, like there's you should... There's a lot of stake there. You should YouTube it, because there's some people who have YouTube channels where they're on hardcore mode, and they, they'll play uh, four hours every single day, and they'll document it down, like, hey, day one, day two day three, day four, like whatever, and they'll go. And the sad thing is that when it when you die, it's, it, all, gone. it's, it's all gone. It's all gone. So the sta- the stakes are there. You just, It all goes back to the parameters that we talked yeah. about, making sure they have the right parameters. Well, okay, so, uh, I mean, just to kind of finish up the thought, though, I, at the end of the day, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a parent, whether it's somebody in business leadership, ultimately they don't want to be wrong because they're prideful. Like they don't mm-hmm. want to humble themselves no and admit that I'm wrong. Yeah, no one wants and, to be wrong. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I think we really cherish and that we talk about so much is being able to have the humility to see where you're wrong and then admit that so that you can grow from it. Mm-hmm. And it's really just a growth mindset. Yeah. But a growth mindset doesn't always come natural. I don't know that it ever comes naturally. It might to some. But yeah. sometimes it is definitely like a conscious effort that you make. So the second pillar that they were talking about was the uh, flexibility dynamic. Uh, Provide multiple paths to success. And that one is so big because especially in education and especially in core content, we tend to teach that there's one way to do something. Mm -hmm. And that's why I appreciate Aaron Tomhave coming on all the time because he is the kind of person that I teach math, but I'm going to teach math in the context of there are tons of ways to solve this problem. Let's find one. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think a lot of people miss this in life. They're looking for that quick answer or the right way. Tell me what to do. And they don't have that flexibility. And that's why we get ourselves into so much trouble oftentimes mm-hmm. is because we don't ever look at anything from a different angle. 
Well, and I think that's what's wrong with our the majority of our culture now is that everything's black and white. It is either this way or it is that way. Right. We either need to do X, Y, Z in order to win and get the result that we need, or we need to do X, Y, Z in order to, and that's going to get us not to be successful. You know, it's um, it it's very cut and dry, and things aren't always black and white. Very rarely are they they black and white. But I think that this is really interesting and really good to think about because, like, you know, success can be defined by anybody, by anything. But the fact that it provides multiple pathways to success, everybody has their own path in life. And it's all going to ultimately lead to the same end. Right. So what pathway are you going to take? What pathway are you doing in order to fulfill what it is that you need to fulfill in order to get be successful? So there's that one. Uh, number three, which is my absolute favorite, yeah. uh, the construction dynamic. Build something that matters. And she said this. If you have Minecraft in your classroom, and you, it's going to open the doors to cross-curricular. And it's going to give students the ability to build things that they would never be able to do in real life. Right. But it gets them thinking about how to do it. Mm-hmm. Which is huge. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's, that's, that's part of setting the foundation for problem solving is, is those scenarios. I mean, think about it. Before somebody built the first rocket, they had to sit down and imagine what it was like and work through all the different scenarios to build something that had never been built that they didn't have the ability to build. Mm-hmm. But through their brainstorming and their problem solving, it, it was created and they turned it into something. Yeah. Was it in ingenuity? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and now I want you to think about this. Like, Pratt, do you know how fiber, do you know what fiber even is? Fiber optic? I do know what fiber optics is. I can't explain it, but okay. I mean, I'm aware of it so and I know what it does. I, I've been looking into this because, like, I didn't quite realize it. If you don't know, fiber optic is like the highest form of internet. It's the fastest internet you can get. It's Let's one get gig per second. Let's get that. Okay. It's really hard to get because not, it's not offered in all places. Right. Fiber is 80% the speed of light. Okay. I want you to fathom that. I can't because <laughs> there is nothing else in our entire world that even remotely comes close to that. Okay. Right. Okay. So then you're sitting, your thing is like, what in the world is going in this wire that is allowing it to move 80% the speed of light? And just to move numbers. It's glass. It's light. That is what is in a fiber optic wire. And a fiber optic cable is glass. And it is light that is traveling. And that is why it's able to go 80% the speed of light. Okay, now now you're sitting here thinking, okay, that blows my mind. That's way different than copper. That's way different. That's way different than anything. In Minecraft, there is something called redstone, and it's basically the quote unquote electricity. It's how you get power to things in order to make things like turn on and, and do things, whatever. And it works very similarly to fiber and how it works. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, you can just you take a flashlight or, or a laser pointer, it's only going to go so far before it kind of dies off, right? Right. So, it needs some type of repeater, some type of uh, re- rejuvenation in order to continue the signal. Well, that's exactly what Minecraft Redstone is. It's only good for up to, I think it's like eight blocks, and then the, the signal stops. And then you need something 
that's going to continue the signal. Hmm. So it works exactly the same way. So it, it's, have you, it's having you think and build these things that you probably would never even think or build yeah. ever in real life. And that's so I think that is like the, the essence of a video game. Yeah. Okay. So the next one I really like, it's situated meaning. Okay. And it, it's learning new ideas by experiencing them. You know, it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. Uh-huh. But then whenever you're immersed in this world or, or, you know, whatever it is that you're experiencing all these different things, it brings new ideas to the table because, well, I saw this. And if I saw this, can we do this? And so I think that's powerful because although that does definitely happen in real life, it, it, you have to be really intentional to get that to happen in mm-hmm. real life sometimes. And this gives that kind of with no boundaries. Yeah. Uh, the next one is system thinking. Learn how all pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. That's important just in general. Like, I think a lot of times people, like, I was like, because I was the kid who took apart the toaster and tried to put it back together. Somehow I was missing parts and it still worked. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's important to see how all the pieces fit together. I like to use the analogy in my classroom all the time that because kids will think, look, computers are so hard. I'm like, computers are easier than a car. How many pieces, like how many components are uh, make up a computer? They're like, I don't know, nine? I was like, yeah, there's nine parts that make up this computer. How many parts make up a car? More than nine. Yeah. So there's a lot more going on in a car than there's going on in a computer. And it's more like a puzzle. Like you could probably put the wrong belt. I don't know anything about cars, but you could probably do a lot of things that are wrong, even though they look right. Well, I heard you could put banana peels in something work or pass the inspection or something like that i've never you've never heard that before i think it was in the older cars they used to always say like if i can't remember what it was but if some part was not working you put a banana peel in there and it would it would work for just enough for you to pass the inspection or something i don't know i I, didn't really remember hearing no i just remember hearing that when i was a kid okay and then the last one is build empathy uh for players brings players together and makes them have empathy because they're working together on a project and if something goes wrong they want to help. They want to fix it. Yeah. And they and they start to get to see everybody struggling together. And so they realize, you know, this is difficult for you or this is difficult for me. And it starts to <clears throat> open up those doors. So, I mean, if you just stop and think about it, it's not to say that you have to, you can only learn these things through playing games. But look that whenever you play, you know, in this scenario, Minecraft, this is how many things can be learned now i believe that it takes an adult or someone more mature to educate to help them realize what they're learning otherwise it's just a game and an experience but if there's no reflection involved then i think that sometimes they might miss this and miss it and although they are learning it they may not be able to apply it for a while because they don't realize that they they have that skill as a result. So I think, you know, it, it is worth the debrief or worth the reflection, you know, to kind of help them digest their experience. And I think that whenever you do that, that makes this a very powerful platform. You know, okay, but so here's the question, you know, because I'm sure parents are listening and their kids like to play Minecraft, you know, and maybe you're going, I never thought that this was actually educational. I just thought it's something they like to do. Look, if you don't know the power of Minecraft, you need to get on YouTube and look, and I 
strongly recommend this this channel. Mumbo Jumbo is one of the best Minecrafters in, in uh, that's out there. You could look up some people like Dream, but Dream's more about the competitive aspect. He's trying to speed run it and things like that. Mumbo Jumbo and the Hermitcraft server are some of the most just genuine. They they're just a bunch of people who just want to play Minecraft together, and it's crazy. They've built this entire. Um, ecosystem of positivity and helping each other and they they trade and they've made uh their own economics where they they use diamonds as currency and it is crazy they build shops and they sell things and they do they have their own little tiny little metaverse and in there i think they're in season like eight or nine they are amazing and if you watch them you'll realize the implication that there's that minecraft is actually an art form some of the things that these people are making is just insane. Green has just made just absolutely astonishing things. And he actually grew his channel on tutorials on how to build and make your builds more pretty. Hmm. Okay, so what, do, what would you say to someone like kind of like me? And I'm not saying because, I mean, I, I'm embracing the value of this. Mm -hmm. Okay, But I would say a year or two years ago before kind of experiencing and seeing what I've seen, if you would say that, I would have said something like, you know, well, these kids need to have more real experiences. Like, if it were my children, I don't want them learning all this through a video game. I want them learning this in real life. You know, it, where is it when this is safe to say this is what's best? Or is this just an alternative? Like, where do we go with this? Because... Like, if, if a parent's listening to this right now, they're going like, so does that mean I encourage this? But I don't want them on video games all the time. Like, I want them to be attached to the quote-unquote real world. You know, so how do you respond to that? Because I can see both sides of it. I mean, you know, I have little kids, so they don't even play video games, so we're not at that, that point. But I don't like them sitting in front of the TV all the time, you know? And so when is enough enough? Or do I go, this is a learning experience, and I need to let them have it, you know, four hours a day. I don't know. Okay. Well, this is what I would tell you. When you would come home and your two little ones, well, this was before your third one was born. Mm -hmm. You came home and your oldest would come up and say, I'm Elsa. Yeah. And she would wear her cape or whatever. And she'd go around and they would pretend that they were Anna and Elsa all day long, eight hours a day. And they would. Were, were you worried about it? Okay, well, then why would you be worried about them playing another type of game that just so happened to be on a screen? Kids learn through play. That's their work. Mm -hmm. They're simulating what they are seeing in the real world, and they're building it, and they're manufacturing it in their play, in their, in their pretend world, in their metaverse of their mind. They're doing it there. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it there so that way if they fail there's no stakes and it's totally fine. And if you've ever played with a, especially a younger person, they'll play house up until the point where they know how to simulate something. And then when they're done, they don't have any more information of how to simulate, how to play house or, or whatever. They're done playing the game. That's why kids bounce around constantly from game to game to game to game. Yeah. And they make up their own stuff because they don't have any more resources to draw from because they're still only like three or four years old. So that's good. My question to you isn't so much 
why are you worried about like how long they're playing a game? Why aren't you playing the game with them? Yeah, and I can see that. And and my rebuttal to myself or to that question would have been this. Okay, well, you want them to experience that in real life. So in what ways are you setting up an opportunity for them to do all these things? Because mm-hmm. if you want them to do that, but you're never giving them that opportunity, you're never putting them in a scenario, then they're not getting it either way. Mm-hmm. And same thing to teachers. You can say, well, I don't want kids doing this or whatever. We'll, we'll teach them those things. But how? Like, how are you going to teach them those things whenever you're doing worksheets out of a workbook? Mm-hmm. That's not real life. Real life is not solving problems on in a worksheet or a Scantron. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you want them to try to replicate the Eiffel Tower and Minecraft and try to build it? Because one block is one meter by one meter by one meter. Mm-hmm. Or do you want them to go out in the garage and, and build a birdhouse? Well, he's, oh, I don't have time for that. I, I can't show them how to use the wood and use the hammer. And then that's using tools. And I mean, I got too many bigger things to do. I got Okay, well, then don't be upset that they went on Minecraft and decided to try to create something. I mean, I see your point, it, 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 you know, because I think, like, I grew up in a world of, like, you know, Atari. Well, that makes me sound old. We had an Atari, right? And then we graduated that to, like, old. Nintendo. That's pretty good. I had a Nintendo. And then we went to, like, Nintendo 64. Was that the next thing? No, it was what Nintendo was it? and then Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo. That was it. I think that's where my family stopped. I think we stopped at Super Nintendo, right? And all we did was play, like, Mario. We played Donkey Kong. We played, I, I don't even remember. Those are the two I remember. I remember I was trying to beat Donkey Kong, right? Mm. I really, I don't know. Maybe I was learning things in that. I don't feel like I did. Well, the thing of it is, is that it's a just like any game, just like any game, you learn how to socialize because hopefully you're playing it with somebody. I, well, usually I play with my brother. Okay. But my brother is five and a half years younger than me. So it was it was a different dynamic. Well, that's that's fine. I mean... Some of the things that you, I mean, honestly, did you and your brother play any other games besides video games? Yeah, we did other stuff. Okay. So that's one of those things. Like, it doesn't matter whether it's a, whether it's a virtual game or whether it's an in-person game. Mm-hmm. It, any game is going to be character building. I like, I mean, there's very few rare uh, uh, things that are out there that are not character building games. Well, I agree with what you said, and I think if a parent's concerned, my first response would be... What are you doing to replace it? Well, actually, my first response would be, would, would be why don't you participate mm-hmm. so that you can better exactly. understand and monitor better? And maybe it is that there are things... Because there are some games out there. I mean, we're talking about Minecraft, but there are some games out there that are not healthy for children. Oh, I know. my. So my, I'm not just saying just play any old game. Look, my, my girlfriend used to work at GameStop, and she used to be... So annoyed when a parent would come in and be like, uh, he wants Grand Theft Auto 5. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, okay, he's eight. I need to let you know that there is a torture scene where you're literally going to take car batteries and attach it to his earlobes. Are you okay with that? There is a strip club that is also in there. The game is called Grand Theft Auto. Right. He will be killing people in the worst, most grueling ways possible. That's what that's for? Yes, ma'am. There is also a little M sign that says right there that says all of the warnings that are on this game. Oh, I'm not getting that for him. And then the 10-year-old, 7-year-old kid's all upset because right. he's not getting Grand Theft Auto. Right, because they just don't know. So, so right. I mean, this isn't free-for-all. Just let your kids play any old game. 
mm-hmm. but that there are some platforms out there that have opportunities to actually teach your kids. And especially Minecraft, there is a education version of Minecraft yes, that helps is. your kid learn how to code and yep. do all of these other different types of things. So I just think that there's like this stereotype when it comes to gamers that people view games as bad. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's a video game or not. Like they view games as bad, and they view it as a waste of time. You know, and there's not valued because it's not work. Right. But that's little kids play games and they pretend that is their work. And but then you grow up. Then you grow up, and that's exactly right. Grown ups think that they're done because they are just that grown up. I want you to think about any type of person that you've ever had to deal with who thought like something was like they were maybe bullheaded or stubborn or something like that. That is someone who thinks that they're done because they're a grown up. When in reality, you're never done. Like I still watch cartoons. I watch cartoons all the time. It doesn't matter if it's anime or if it's Rick and Morty or or if it's Courage of the Cowardly Dog or Dexter's Laboratory. Like I still watch cartoons all the time because they can do things that normal TV shows can't do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think it's funny, it's ridiculous. It gives me a break from the real world or whatever. And then it gives me ideas for when I go and I write short stories or or do, you know, anything creative. Like I don't try to think that I'm grown up. I mean, obviously, I'm a adult. I have bills, like whatever. You know, I have responsibilities, but I try really hard to never have that mentality, have that have that thought process. Yeah, because I think it has a little bit of this stigma that, like, whenever you think you're grown up, it's kind of like you're done growing. Mm-hmm. Like I've got it figured out, and it's kind of like what we talked about at the beginning. You know, you have this pride attached that, like, you can't make a mistake. I know everything. I know what I need to know. Like, I can do this. I got this. I'm an adult. I'm adulting. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, and I think times are changing with that because, like, it used to be that you had one career, mm-hmm. and that was it. You did that one thing for the next 40 years of your life. And I think that really scared Gen X, mm-hmm. and I think that really scared millennials, that it was like, oh, my God, like, what if I don't like doing this? What if, what right. if like, I'm going to do this for the next 40 years? Oh, no, well, get me right. out. Right, and because there were so many more options happening and it's like well i kind of like this and i kind of like this why do i have to just stick with this one thing Mm -hmm. like what if i get bored what if i don't what if it doesn't pay me enough money like yeah i i totally agree and i think that's part of why Mm -hmm. things have shifted so much to where now like it is not strange for people to change careers three four or five times in their life yeah it's not strange and in fact statistically it What's showing now the trend is that the the people who make the most money, okay, are people who have had multiple careers. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've talked about that yeah. before. So, and it's been in my experience that teachers or older people who are still in the mindset that games are for kids, they're usually the ones that are bad at technology or are afraid of it. They're usually the ones that are like, well, I don't want no phone. I don't need that. I don't need, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. They're always the ones that are most resistant. It's because they're thinking that they're already grown up. They don't need to learn anything new. Hey, it's Tal Lamont, your favorite educator here. Just reminding you to like, subscribe, and follow us on all platforms. I have some big news for you. We have merch now. Did you know that? I didn't know that. 
Just head on down to the website, teachbigger.com, and click on the store and check out all of our shirts and bags and hoodies and all of the other graphics that we have. Also, if you or someone that you know would like to be on the show, go ahead and go onto the website and fill out our VIP form and we'll get you on. Lastly, on our website, we have our 21-day coaching starter kit. If you're interested in the Teach Bigger team giving you personalized coaching, whether it's in your classroom, for your small business, or just you and your personal life, we're here to help you succeed. Find it all at teachbigger.com. Okay, so moving on. We did an escape room that was here. It was my first ever escape room. It was... Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, that's what I was going to say. It, it was Pratt's first escape room. It was my second one. Mm-hmm. And, and I've wanted for a long time to do escape room because I like the concept and I love problem solving. It like, was I love so puzzles. much fun. It was literally <laughs> the highlight of this whole trip because, okay, so in, in the exhibit hall, it's like a huge convention center, convention center and they, they've wheeled in, <laughs> wheeled in, they've driven in. This giant, like, sh- bus. I mean, it's basically... It's like a giant trailer. Yeah, I mean, more or less, I mean, it was about the size, uh, almost the size of a charter bus, maybe a little smaller. Was it an actual bus? I I, it, it might have the, been a trailer in, of some sort. I think it was sort. a trailer. I can't but remember. But it, it was big. Yeah, because it didn't have... It was a trailer because it didn't have any driving devices yeah. or anything. Okay, so, so anyways... So we just were kind of walking by and kind of checking it out. And they're like, hey, do you guys want to do an escape room? So we're like, sure. So we signed up. And so the next day we come back. And it was just, you know, Tyler and I signed up. So there's just two of us. And we didn't even know what to – I did, surely didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden, like, all these people show up. And they've all signed up for this time. And none of us really know each other. Maybe it's like, you know, a group of two here, maybe three friends here. And they bring us all together onto this team. And so you walk into this um, trailer – and, I mean, it is super cool, like, way decked out, like, high-tech. I mean, everything's shiny and glossy, looks futuristic. Um, TV monitors everywhere, computers everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it was really, like, it was kind of like walking into a movie set, you mm-hmm. know? And I realized that uh, escape rooms all have different themes and whatever, so that was the theme of this one. And um, so what's crazy is you kind of walk in, nobody's really talking, nobody really knows each other, and it's kind of awkward. And, you know, you have a guy in there, and he's, like, trying to hype you up. And, you know, this is great. You're going to figure this out. You're going to work as a team. And, you know, we're all adults, and we're kind of looking at each other like, okay, yeah. yeah <laughs> and so then what's crazy is, like, they show this little quick, like, I don't know, maybe like a two-minute intro video that's kind of setting the the theme <laughs> and what's going on. So there's, like, this little robot talking about how, you know, we've chosen you for this mission. And it really, it didn't give us any information. It just kind of set a mood as to what we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. And maybe it was giving us some information, but you don't realize that. And you kind of just drown it out. I mean, it was like, what? well, I was listening to it, but it didn't. It was one of those things that it didn't really tell us what to do. And then we was like, OK, begin. Well, yeah, that was what that was the thing. The guy was like, OK, ready. Time starts now. And we all kind of look at each other. We're like, nobody in this room even knows what we're supposed to be doing. And so then literally it was like, just go start exploring everything. Because one thing he told us was everything on, you can touch everything on the trailer except like these few things. And like everything's interactive. You can, you know, there's computers, you can use them. They're hooked up to the internet, like all this different stuff. 
And so literally like, you know, how many of us were there? Like maybe nine or 10. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Maybe like nine or 10 of us. And we're just all wandering around this trailer, but to make matters worse, there's a countdown timer on the screen, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So we have 30 minutes to figure this out. And literally we spent the first five minutes. Nobody knew what was going on. We're just walking around, like kind of just touching things. And then finally, like somebody finds a card or somebody finds this. And then suddenly you kind of start to realize what's going on. And so it was weird because somebody would find a card and they're like kind of reading it and people like don't want to bother them. You're like, uh-huh. oh, they found the card, you know, but, but that we're forgetting we're a team. And the only way that we're going to figure this out is like, we all need to know what everybody knows. And so for a while, like all these things are happening and everybody kind of has a little piece of information, but nobody's really sharing that with each other. And we're all kind of just walking around mm-hmm. until finally, like somebody asked a question or whatever. And then it was like a waterfall. Like all of a sudden, everyone just starts jumping. They're like, well, I found this and I found that. And yeah. maybe it's this. And it was like suddenly the whole dynamic changed because like we through this struggle of not knowing what we're doing we all had empathy for each other because nobody knows what we're doing, right? Yeah. And then when somebody finds something, we're like, yeah, I think you might be right. And suddenly it was like this major encouraging environment. And then if somebody was wrong, it was like, well, wait, maybe it's this. And we started like presenting solutions and problem solving and whatever. So uh, go ahead. Well, no, it's, it's totally fine. It, what it really, rem- there was a lot of elements that were happening. Like when I first got there, I kind of sat back because like people were finding all these things and I hadn't found anything yet. But the irony was when you walked in, they handed you a bag. Yeah. As soon as I walked in, they gave me a bag and I was, they're like, here you go. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess I got a backpack now. Right. You had like the secret key <laughs> and you didn't even know what you had. Yeah. Right. So it was like this weird social dynamic where like at first I looked around, everyone's doing something and I'm not, I'm like, man, I just want to be, like, I just want to contribute. Like, how can I contribute? How can I do things? And then I was like, well, like, I don't know these people. Like, I can't really say anything to them. Like, I don't want to be, like, off-putting or step on anybody's toes. And now, then I was like, but there's a timer. Like, we got to get something done. Right. So, and I was like, well, I just want to be productive. So then I just started kind of exploring on my own. And then someone found something, and it kind of went with what I was doing. And then it was like this huge snowball effect. And what I thought was really interesting is somebody was struggling with the chemistry part. Yeah. I don't know anything about chemistry. You know, I thought I did because I did really well in chemistry in high school for Mm -hmm. some reason but suddenly when that happened i couldn't remember anything i was like i don't know what this is (laughs) so i went over there and i was like hey so what's going on and she was telling me about it and i was like well i'm terrible at chemistry but i'll do my best to help and she's like well it's this i was like well just run run everything down from the beginning like explain everything that you know and she explained it all to me in a very well and very concise way and I was like, okay. And I was able to try to help her a little bit. And we, f- we figured it out. And we won. We, we got the second fastest time. Well, what was crazy was this, because I'm not good at chemistry. And I'm not good at a lot of like mathematical science mm-hmm. things. I'm more of a word person. And so, you know, you could help anybody at any time. We were all supposed to be working together. And so there were two different times where they there was a team of people. And they were like at one station And they had like all the objects and they were starting to figure it out. And basically there were clues of two different, there was like a word that was like a secret word that would unlock Mm -hmm. a key, right? Well, two of the letters had been written in and it had like five blanks or whatever it was. And I'm looking at it and I knew it had something to do with fire for some Mm -hmm. reason. And I just looked at it and I'm like, it's plasma. 
And so like I run over to the computer and type in the word plasma and boom, it unlocked one of the keys. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, how'd you figure that out? I didn't even know what was going on. I just like words. So I was yeah. able to figure that out. And so then with the chemistry thing, the same thing happened. It was a word scramble to where- well, I'm terrible at those. Right. So so we had all the letters and it was really a, a hard word scramble. And I don't even know why it was so hard looking back. Because it had two Bs. Yeah. But it was hard because the timer was clicking down and it was mm -hmm. our last clue and we finally got it. And then they finally rearranged it. And then I, I don't even remember the word, word was- but suddenly it clicked in me. And so I just ran over the computer and typed it in and boom, the game was over and we won. So, um, you know, it wasn't that I saved the day because everybody did work along the you way. You kind of saved the day. Well, but it was just interesting because when you get in a dynamic like that, your strengths start to show, you know, because I'm good with words, but I'm not good with the other stuff. So I had to rely on everybody else to get me to the part where the words were. And then I was able to kind of contribute. Yeah, it was very much a perfect way to do, like real world collaboration how mm -hmm. actual collaboration is supposed to be which is, i find this so interesting because there, there's a book called the culture code okay by danielle coley i think is how you say it if you haven't picked up a copy you should definitely pick up a copy it's, it's daniel is it daniel coil a coil is that i a, think it's daniel coil da daniel coil yeah. um uh, anyway, it is an amazing, amazing book, and you should definitely pick up a copy and read it. In the very beginning of the book, it talks about how um, they did this collaboration test with Harvard or, or some collegiate level like hard Ivy League school and kindergartners. Okay. And they were supposed to build the tallest tower that they possibly could using spaghetti noodles and like marshmallows, marshmallows. or tape or something like that. Uh -huh. Okay. The, the college kids immediately segregated themselves and gave each person a task and a job, and they failed every single time. The kindergartners won and made extremely tall structures because all the, kindergart all the kindergartners knew was to, let's just get the job done. They didn't know how to do all these things. They didn't know there was a social dynamic. They didn't know that right. there was a social dynamic. There was no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Social, um, oh, it's, what is that called? Uh, where you do something on purpose because of a social dynamic, um, social maintenance or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember what it is. It'll come to me in a second. But um, that's exactly what was happening in the escape room is that I didn't know them, they didn't know me, and we had we just started working together. We didn't sit there and let's make one person's going to be the timer, one person's going to be the facilitator. because no, we didn't have time for all that. We didn't have time for all that mess. But what I loved about it was how, because we didn't know each other, but... Management, social management, oh, I remember okay. it. Gotcha. Everybody <laughs> feels better now. Um, we, we didn't... It, it was interesting to watch people's natural strengths and natural leadership skills rise to the surface, right? And it wasn't about like, well, I'm good at this, so let me do this. But it was that the problem and the time forced it, forced it into this funnel where everybody found their place, you know? Because like, for example, I tend to be a very behind the scenes person. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not a show person. Like I don't like to be in front of anything, 
right? Mm-hmm. I like to be behind the scenes. I like to be that support and management role or whatever the case may be. And so, like, I wasn't the person to get in the trailer and go, come on, guys, we got to get this done, whatever. I just kind of, like, walked around and, like, kind of felt through and, like, said, okay, what are they working on? What am I? And I was listening to conversations and going, okay, wait, now I'm putting this together because they're, they're talking about Japan and then they're talking about this and, you know, whatever the, it was. And so then... It, that's that's why everybody was so surprised when I came up with the answer because it was like out of nowhere I'm like it's this <laughs> but I had really been listening the whole time yeah. taking it all in and figuring out the big picture of what was going on and then I was able to look past their problem to see and so that's my style that's my management style that's my leadership style and so my strength came out where there are other people who their style is to be the brain behind it all and to figure out the nuances or the details and then I was able to see the big picture. And I think it was so beautiful how we worked as a big team like that. And mm-hmm. none of us even decided to do that or knew to do that. Okay, so taking it back to the whole game thing, right? So really, I look at this as a real-life experience. This is a real-life game. Like Minecraft, Yeah. Right? So, I mean, again, we say, well, I, I don't want my kids playing video games. I want them to experience this kind of stuff in real life. Well, how do you create that? Okay, so here we have this example of an escape room where I believe probably every single one of the same things that a kid would learn through Minecraft, they probably could learn through this escape room, but how accessible is an activity like that? Yes. To many people, I mean, to most, and, and yes, there are teachers who set up escape rooms and things like that in their classroom, and that's cool. I'm all for that. I'm way all for that. Yeah. But that's a lot of work. That's a it's lot It's a lot of, of figuring out. It's a lot of maintenance. And it's and, a one-off. And you're right. You can't do that every day. And you can't continue it. Like, once it's done, it's done. Yeah. Because, like, you know, so I I think you have to consider how much bang can you get for your buck? Like, what's your return on the investment? And I think, and I encourage parents, I encourage teachers, and I encourage small businesses, large businesses, do things like escape rooms Mm -hmm. with your teams or your children. Because guess what? It is letting them experience those things. There is a place for them, and we as leaders should be going above and beyond and letting people experience that. Like, if you think it's too much trouble, then, yeah, it's a lot of trouble. But when did that ever stop people from doing things that were great? I mean, anything great's a lot of trouble. You know, I love the book by the Harris Brothers. Like, do hard things. Like, sometimes you just have to do hard things. And it's hard, but that doesn't mean it's not worth it. So... Things aren't hard. Bricks are hard. (laughs) Well, whatever. But I I mean, like, as a parent, you know, and and I'm talking to myself right now, like, I need to be creating experiences like this for my kids. And my kids are young, but there's an extent to where we can do things like this. And and honestly, like, my kids watch, you know, I hate this so much, right? But I'm trying to fight this battle. Like, my kids like to watch other kids play on TV. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, why don't you go play? And they do. My kids play a lot, and we have a good balance, and they're very good at playing. So I don't, I don't feel too bad, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm kind of like, why do you like to watch other kids? But one of the things that they love to do is watch these families that kind of like replicate among us. And so they'll, they like have this game, and so like somebody in their family is the imposter, and they've got to figure out who did it. And so my kids are always like, Dad, can we play that game? Can we play that game? And so the other night, like we played, I don't even know what's going on because I've never played Among Us. I don't know anything about this mess. And they don't say, you know, the YouTube families that are broadcasting yeah. all this, they don't ever say it's Among Us because they'd be infringing on copyrights and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But... You know, so so they don't even know what it's called. I think they call it imposter or whatever. Yeah. Which, you know, I think this was a game long time ago or whatever. But they wanted me to play. And, you know, with my seven-year-old, my four-year-old, they don't know what's going on. And they try to cheat and 
You know, yeah, they of think course. You know, and I'm like, oh, you know, this is not my idea of the best fun in the world, but it's fun because I'm with them. You know, like mm-hmm. I would choose like, hey, let's sit down and play Monopoly. That sounds like fun, you know, and my kids do like Monopoly as well. But, you know, so so just letting your kids experience those things. And as they get older, I think you can do more advanced things with them. And why not? Like if you have teenagers like, how about instead of a birthday party where the, you turn on the music and, like, kids are just standing around being awkward and, like, playing video games or whatever. Like, as a parent, if you're going to have a 14-year-old birthday party or a 16-year-old birthday party, plan an amazing event for your kids. Like, why not create an escape room for them? You know? Why not? Yeah, it takes some effort. Yeah, it takes some time. Well, I don't know how to do things like that. Then find somebody who can help you that can. Yeah. You know? We'll help you. Let us know. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll help you get it figured out. We're good at this stuff. But and you know that's exactly what we used to do with kids in our leadership program mm-hmm. in our in our band program. You're absolutely we right. would go and let them have experiences and they learn more from those experiences and it changes the dynamic and the culture faster than anything else because once you've gone through an experience with somebody you have a bond with them. Yes. You've created a moment, you've created a memory and it is lasting. And and my my last thing I'll say about this is I think if you are the leader of a business you need to be able to create experiences for your people. And whenever you hire new people or you have your weekly meeting or whatever, like don't just sit down and read a checklist or go through a Google slide of all the things that need to get done. Give them an experience to let them buy into the company, let them buy into the culture, let them buy into your vision because it's not their vision. Yeah. Right? Like if somebody's working for you, it, they're not, they're working for your vision. And so until they've bought into your vision, and they trust you, they're not going to do the work that you would do. Yeah, or the like the the depth of the or the you know or with the with the with the excellence. Maybe. Yeah. So okay. Well, I thought was something was very interesting with the the escape room was that we like organized ourselves. Yeah. And it's like it was like total subliminal. So, like, I mean, and I didn't even realize this until you said something mm-hmm. because, like, I'm really good at mazes. I mean, it's yeah. not hard to be good at a maze. Well, now that's just because you're good at mazes because I'm not, and I hate mazes. I mean, you <laughs> just look at it and you just find the path. Like, there's, it's not rocket science. But somehow... That was really snooty, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> somehow, I ended up... Because I was like looking around, I was like, okay, I just want to be like useful. I want to help. I want to contribute. And everyone's like kind of doing something. And then I saw that there was like, you know, some headphones and like a little iPad. And then I kind of saw like there was like this weird little chart that kind of looked like a maze. And I was like, well, that's weird. And I went, I did it. I figured it out. I got what needed to get done. And, and then I was able to contribute. And what's funny is by you figuring that out and I kind of had the opportunity to like watch what you did. And then suddenly it clicked with me what we were doing and how the game worked because there was no instruction. Yeah. And so by watching you solve the first puzzle, it helped me to realize, okay, this is what the flow of this game is going to feel like. Well, everyone, I think it was subconscious, they gravitated toward the spot where they felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then they felt comfortable there. And then they solved those puzzles. And then you came over, you're like, look, see, you did the maze. That's awesome. Like what? And I was like, whoa, I guess somehow out of the entire truck or whatever, <laughs> I found the one and only maze yeah. and I did it. 
Yeah. And the only reason I can think of is because uh, there was like chemistry on the wall and I was like, oh my God, like I'm not going to be able to do that. And then I saw um, some math somewhere and I was like, well, I can kind of do that, but there's people over there. And I saw some computers with typing and I was like, well, I'm a really slow typer. So I don't necessarily want to go check that out just yet. So it was like, I, I just subconsciously ended up where I needed to be because I was assessing my own skill set. And then when I was done with that, I went and I had the confidence to go help somebody else with a skill set that I didn't necessarily have. Right. Another dynamic that I saw through that was this, like, you know, there were some people who came in with their friend or their group and they tend to hover around them. Like you could tell one of them was kind of depending on the other and like they would just kind of follow along and and then there was a strong personality in there that would maybe was figuring something out and then so there was that kind of thing and then there were other groups like me and you who immediately they split up mm-hmm. like you and I didn't really work on anything together occasionally no. I came and asked you a question like yeah. what did y'all find here or whatever but we weren't like hanging around each other because we were friends and we were trying to make sure that we got to do something together like because we're both strong personalities we're both driven we both have a leadership mentality. And so it was like, let's go find the task and get it done. Mm-hmm. And there were other people in, in the truck that did that as well. Like I noticed some of the groups split up and they were really the, the groups that were the most successful. And then you would have a group where you'd have a couple of people that just kind of like were just like oozing around together. Mm-hmm. And one of them kind of wasn't doing anything, you know. And I mean, not knocking on them. That's just their personality. And maybe, yeah. maybe that's where they are. But it was just interesting to see that under pressure – I think who you are really pops out, pops out. And I think we've got to look at that at the same thing. Like in, in your family, when pressure is applied, you start to find out who you are, who your kids are in your school. When there's pressure, admin starts to find out who the teachers are. Teachers start to find out who the admin are. Same thing in business. Mm-hmm. You find out what your leadership's really all about whenever things get under pressure. Yeah, and something that was really cool, and we talked about it, I think, a few a few weeks ago or a few episodes ago, th- they didn't tell us the answer. Mm-hmm. They didn't even tell us the instructions of they how to start. They didn't tell us the problem. They didn't tell us the problem. We found the problem. We found the puzzles. We found the solutions, and then we completed it. We had our investment. Mm-hmm. We had our struggle. Yeah. And we had our completion, and then we found our accomplishment. And everything that we learned and everything that we did was way more meaningful because we were given the independent freedom to fail. Now, there were parameters because we were inside of a truck and, like, all these mm-hmm. things were prepared for us. Right. And you do get it up to about three hints, and I think we used two. No, we used all three. We used all yes, three. Yes, we did. So... I mean, we. Di- I mean, I don't think that we just didn't have any help at all because we did. But we were there, and it's one of those things where, like, if we wouldn't have gotten it, they weren't going to tell us the answer. No, because you could fail. It would, and yes, and failure was an actual option to get. Now you might be sitting there thinking, "Was like, well, if you failed, what would you have learned? You would have learned that you didn't have what it took." In order to solve that one puzzle. That doesn't mean you don't have it forever. Yeah. That just means in that one snapshot and then you come back and you try to figure it out again. And I think it's the same thing. Just like we're able to reflect and look at why it worked so well. Because we had groups splitting up. Because we had all these things in place and like people's leaderships. I think if you had failed, you'd be able to go, 
this is probably why we failed because we did this, mm-hmm. this, and this, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I, I was just really impressed at that experience. I, I would say, man, if you can go do an escape room, go do an escape room. That is a, that is a learning moment. Yeah. And it all follows what the culture code is talking about because the reason those college kids failed is because they separated themselves out and assigned each about each other a task. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen is that there was this social management that was happening where one person probably got assigned a task that they didn't necessarily want. They're like watching somebody like doing another task and they're like looking at him like, that's not going to work, but that's not my job. Right. And then if you've like, whoa, you know, you go back to your actual corporate job or you go back to teaching or whatever, you sit there and you listen to your principal or whatever, whoever your supervisor is in your, in your meeting. And you sit there and think, that's never going to work or this is broken. They don't know that's broken, but whatever. That's not my job. That's their job. They'll have to figure that out on their own. Yeah. And that all goes down to culture. It all comes down to culture. Don't have an environment where people feel respected, where they feel Mm -hmm. like they can be trusted, you know, whatever. So I don't know. To me, I think the big takeaway from, from what we've discussed today is that in every, in, in every situation, whether it's with adults or whether it's with kids, giving experiences that allow people to problem solve and allow people to um, fail fail, and give opportunity for success, it really helps define so many of the things that we lack, like empathy, like collaboration, communication. Mm-hmm. And we even discovered in that escape room that at first our biggest struggle was communication because nobody wanted to say what they were thinking. Social management. Right, because maybe we're wrong or maybe that's not our place or maybe somebody was thinking something different. But then as the talk, as the clock was ticking, it was like, okay, it doesn't really matter. At this point, we got to figure something out. Isn't that interesting that when we have information that can help somebody, we're trained somehow to just shut up and don't say anything? Mm-hmm. That that bought that blow that blows my mind. Well, and that's really kind of our big push is like go teach somebody something. Yeah. Like why are you holding the information? Yeah. I I think there's a lot of reasons for it, and I'm not gonna get into it. But yeah. So okay, well, it was a good trip. It was it was fun and, and we really had some some learning moments for yeah, sure. Some we great did. experiences. So you know, we're always talking about go do something big. I think, if anything, after listening today, this is kind of a catalyst. Like, do something different. Like, you know, if you if you have a company, whether you have three employees or whether you have 300 employees, go do something different. Go do something big. Let them experience something. And, like, honestly, and we're really serious about this. Like, if you're not sure what to do, you're like, well, that sounds cool, but I don't even know where to start. That's not how I am. Like, I'm I'm about financials. I'm about the books or whatever. We'll help you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why we exist is to help people think outside of the box. Like, that's why we exist is we want to see people, like, sharing their knowledge wherever they are in their sphere of influence and sometimes that's hard if you haven't really done it and so you know if you want to consult with us or you want you want um, us to give you some ideas or just to talk through something we would be happy to you know converse with you either through email you know we can set up a web conference whatever you want to do like we're here to support 
everyone because mm -hmm. we find so much value in this and that's kind of our passion and our mission is to see people out there sharing what they have and teaching and doing big things because it's going to make everybody stronger so if you haven't already make sure that you uh, follow the podcast make sure that you um, follow us on social media so that you can see all the cool things that's going on check out our website and um, we'll be back with you next time so go do something big <laughs>